It was just before 7.30 p.m. on February 9, 2004, when Maura Murray was last seen. Her car was found damaged, locked, and abandoned on Route 112 just outside of the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Her disappearance has haunted and frustrated family, friends, and a community of people searching for the truth. Since that night, there has never been a credible sighting. You're listening to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. How are you tonight, Lance? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Um, we had a, some real interesting reaction to John Smith's first interview. Yeah, it was uh, pretty much divided right down the middle. Um, he gave some uh, some excellent insight into the case, and we appreciate all of the feedback. Everyone is listening, and they all have an opinion on John Smith. In spite of all of those opinions, one thing that we do know about him is that he is a very genuine guy, and he cares a lot about the family and a lot about the case. Yes, he does. Um, and his online presence is different than his actual persona, it would seem. And actually, we've gotten a few messages like that, people saying that he's um, pretty aggressive online, but he didn't sound that way on the show. No, I think he's a really smart guy, and I think he's learned how to manipulate the social media aspect of everything, not just with this case, but with a lot of things that he believes in in his life. There are some things uh, specifically related to this case that I know he's done in order to draw people out, and if he has to alienate some uh, listeners or some um, some people who read his posts, then he'll alienate them if it's going to be uh, successful in him drawing out a certain person. Yeah, good point. We got a lot of emails and tweets asking us why John Smith was a police officer for only three years. Exactly. That question came in early on. It was almost before any other comment or question that we had. And uh, it's, a, it's a legit question. Why was John Smith a police officer for only three years? So we reached out to him and uh, we asked him and what was his response? His response was that he was a police officer in Littleton, New Hampshire for three years, from 1979 till 1981. His words, I left that job because of the new chief that came to town from Connecticut and was corrupt. I had no intention of being an officer in a town that had this person running the department. I just never jumped back into the job after that. He goes on to say the new chief was only in town for about seven years before he was run out of town for his issues. And in addition to that, we actually got uh, a couple of um, references to John being a police officer and to his character. And uh, I just want to read uh, real quick. I want to read an email from Carmilla Quayle. She emailed us. She said she's been listening to the podcast, very happy with what's being done on this, uh, feels that the truth needs to be known for the family, feels that the family needs closure. And she goes on to say, I'm writing to inform you that I know for a fact John Smith was indeed a police officer in Littleton, New Hampshire in the 80s. She's lived in Littleton her entire life, and she's known the Smith family since she was five years old. She recalls seeing John patrolling the streets of Littleton in uniform. 
She says she believes he served for about three years and only left as we ended up having a new chief come on board who turned out to be corrupt, and I believe he was sued by the town and many others here as well. She also knows that John has been working on the case for 11 and a half years with all that he has. He is truly an honest and reputable man who only wants to help the Murray family. And we also got a comment on the episode 14, part one of the interview with John Smith on the YouTube video. A comment from Chris Fowler, and this is how it reads. Greetings from northern New Hampshire. My friend Mr. John Smith asked me to clarify some information for you folks that apparently do not believe that John was a police patrolman for the town of Littleton, New Hampshire. Firstly, I'll introduce myself. My name is Chris Fowler, and I was also a police officer, but in the town of Franconia, New Hampshire, of which we were a mutual aid agency less than 15 minutes away. My service was from 2004 to 2012, and I have personally known John for over 20 years. I am well aware of his police service, and I'm here to add some clarity to the situation for the quote-unquote non-believers. If anyone feels the need to contact me for more information, you can reach me at franconialocal at hotmail.com. John has been a true advocate to the Murray family and has a deep passion for this topic. I'm sorry that some of you doubt his credibility, and I'm certainly not here to take sides, but the questioning of John's police service needed clarification, and that's exactly what I'm here to provide. If you doubt my police service, I have plenty of proof to provide to you, but therein, I hope you trust that my words are true and factual. I wouldn't be here advocating for him if he was a liar, and we are also personal friends. Hope this helps. Good. I like the fact that he put his information out there so people can contact him directly. That's good. Okay, not much more to say here in this intro, Lance. I'm really excited to hear what the audience has to say about part two of John Smith's interview. Yep, yep. Um, it's uh, it's really fascinating stuff. He continues on with uh, the conversation. He gets a little bit more in depth on uh, you know certain individuals. If you have anything you want to say to us, please email us at missingmoramurray at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Maura Murray Doc. And also just wanted to remind everybody about the meetup on November 7th at 2 p.m. If you do want to attend, please email us and we will email you back an address. Thank you very much. Please enjoy the interview. So one of the members of the uh, Murray family, probably one of the members that uh, you were referencing when you said non-blood family members, um, is Tim Carpenter. Can you talk a little bit about him? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I don't know Tim um, very well. Uh, I think I met him three times in the past 11 years. Uh, the you know, I, I try not to put anyone down, but, um, you know, the first time I met him at the Wells River Motel, um, you know, I don't know if maybe he was just because he was unfamiliar with me, you know, he didn't say much, but we were all in a group and, and things were just kind of, he was kind of standoffish with me and didn't really want to say much. But um, when he did say stuff, you know, it was very short. And to the point, nothing, you know, not like big, long sentences, not statements, you know, just quick, you know, blurbs or whatever. Um, and I, you know, 
I guess I just have to say that all three times that I that I've seen Tim, he has been drinking, um, and um, I'm not saying that makes you a bad guy. Um, used to drink myself. Um, got no real issue with it. Um, but the three times that I did see him it was early in the morning, <laughs> and um, before searches or, or you know, and. I understand that, you know, you're, you're with Maura's sister, you know, who is your uh, fiance, and maybe it's, you know, just because of that issue, you know, that, that you are drinking and whatever, but it just kind of, it, it annoyed me a little bit because, you know, um, because, you know, you weren't all there, you know, mind-wise as far as being, you know, receptive to everything that's going on, the search for Mora. Um, but other than that, I mean, I've, I've never, you know, I've never, I don't really have any more total opinions on him. Um, you know, I think, I, I really don't know what to think about Tim, you know. Did he have anything to do with it? I mean, I don't know. There's people that have said so, um, but there's just too much, you know, to me, I think there's too much to it, but I think it would have been nice to talk to him, you know, to have an actual interview with him, but I've never been able to, um, and I know that that's not possible now. So We actually did speak with him maybe a year and a half ago or something like that, Lance. It was a quick phone call. You can describe it if you'd like, um, but we also did try him again last week, I believe, and we're, we were told by his uh, current wife, who is not uh, Kathleen Murray, um, that uh, his health issues will prevent him from speaking with us again. Well, that's too bad. I just think that there could be some insight there on his part, um, but I don't know. I mean, I think there's just some unanswered questions yeah, about a year and a half ago when we talked to him, it was uh, it was a really quick conversation. It probably lasted like 45 seconds, maybe a minute. And uh, right from the, uh, you know, we told him who we were and what we were doing. And he said uh, that he didn't want his, he was aggressive right from the start. Uh, the phone call ended with him being a little bit less aggressive, but he said he didn't want anything to do with the case anymore. His name had been dragged through the mud enough. And um, as far as he was concerned, it was pretty much out of his life. Um, that's kind of paraphrasing what he said over the course of 45 seconds. Uh, and then he went on to give a little tidbit like, hold on. But after saying that, he would continue on with something like, but I wouldn't trust that Fred Murray. And, you know, him and I never got along. And uh, his exact wording, um, I don't quite remember, but it was to the effect of... Uh, the family dragged my name through the mud, and I don't trust them, uh, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's out of my life. Um, and then he thanked us, and uh, and the the phone call was over, and you know basically said uh, you know thank you, but uh, you know lose my number. Well, I guess my comment to that would be that um, I would like the proof of uh, where Tim was dragged through the mud. Um, he has never been put in the spotlight or dragged through the mud in any way. Um, maybe by Fred Murray, um, verbally, um, because they did not get along. Um, 
and I think the biggest reason was that Tim was a bit older than Kathleen, as well as he was an, an enabler for the alcohol problem. For, for Kathleen, and for Kathleen, let me just stop there. Someone okay. else as well, but I don't want to bring that up right now. Okay. Are we wasting our time by analyzing the days before Mora went missing? Well, personally, I can say in 11 years, I've never been to Massachusetts investigating this case um, because I thought that it was all being taken care of, you know, by people who could really get the job done. You know, um, people who, when they demand answers, can get them. A private investigator or a person off the street doesn't get answers as easy. Um, so I never ventured to, uh, to Massachusetts. Um, it's definitely, uh, I think there's parts of it that are relevant. Um, I don't know exactly everything. Um, I mean, I really don't know a lot. I mean, I, my biggest feeling is that the party Saturday evening, Sunday morning was at a list was the, maybe she was distraught before that. And I think the reason she was distraught before that is because I can say this, her and Billy were having problems. Um, and I think that her stress level was at a max. I think when she was at the party, I think something happened to her at that party. I don't know if maybe something physically happened to her, something was said to her. And then the wrecking of the car, uh, that's too much for anyone. I mean, really, I mean, you think of it. Um, and we were told by these, these girls that there was a bunch of people at this party and at one time, it was stated that Mora left with a cousin of one of the people at the party. But conveniently, oh so conveniently, no one can remember who this cousin is or his name. That, ha that was out for a long time with no one ever coming across any name. We were finally given a name. Do we want to say that? Do we, I mean, is that... It's out there, right? You guys know yeah. it. So Stefan, I guess, or Stefano uh, was the guy's name. And, and that's the only thing we've ever had. I've been digging for a long time. I still don't know who the hell Stefano is or Stefan is. Now, what do you think that means? you think it means he didn't exist or that he's just very hard to find? Well, I, I'm wondering if, if it's another uh, what I'll call false flag in the case of Laura Murray. Is it another thing that somebody just put out there to, uh, to distort the, uh, the true story? Um, did she actually leave with a cousin? Right. You know, we, you know, this is just, that's what was told to us, but this is these, these college girls who, you know, come on, I don't care how drunk you are, you know, unless you're passed out, you're more than likely going to remember who, you know, she left with. This is your girlfriend, your college girlfriend, and you're letting her just walk out the door with someone. Oh, I don't know who that it is was. And I mean, it was at a small party too. So, how do you? I mean, how drunk were you that you can't remember? You know, seven people. Yes, reportedly. Yeah, that's that's one one take was that it's just, it was a small party. That's what we believe it to be. But I think we've we've reported on this show and heard in other places that it may have been a larger party, right? Well, it was in a dorm room, so yeah. you know how big could it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that it had to be, if there was 15 people in there, it was going to be real crowded, you know? So, 
I mean, that's another thing that I guess, you know, we'll never know unless the, the girls or um, anyone who was there actually came forward and said yes, gave us a list of people who were there. We've never gotten any more than Maura, Kate, Sarah. I believe that's pretty much all that we know that was at this party. That's all that's ever been given to us, unless police have more, which, of course, they don't share unless need be. So yes, I, I yeah, I mean the information before she ever um, headed to New Hampshire, I believe, is relevant because it was a catalyst for her to come up here. Again, where she was going, I, I mean, I really have no idea. Um, the fact that she was on Route 112, unless she was lost, indicates that she was headed towards Lincoln. Um, and maybe possibly over the kank over to Bartlett. I mean, that's a long shot. You, usually the kank in the winter, the Kangamangas Highway in the winter is not the way to go. Um, you would stay on 302 and go, you know, uh, 302 through Crawford Notch and down into the Bartlett area. Um, so that, you know, that's my thoughts on that. Where she was, where she was going, I don't know. Or where whoever the, whoever was driving the Saturn, where they were going, I do not know. Getting back to uh, Maura's days at UMass, uh, one thing that you kind of uh, opened my mind up a bit about was the um, Karen Mayotte's account of Maura breaking down that night and uh, saying my sister. Um, do you mind uh, talking to us for a bit about that and what you kind of put together? Well, I mean, my thought on that is, um, yes, we know by phone records that Maura did receive a call. Um but other than the statements by Karen Mayotte as to what happened um, with Mora, she is the only one that can corroborate these statements. That statement is her. Um, and I'm not, again, I have to clarify myself because I do not want to get in trouble, but I'm not saying by any means she did anything wrong. I'm just saying we, could, we can't corroborate that story 100%. She also stated that she was going to have, she told Maura that we will have coffee in the morning. I'll call you in the morning and we'll have coffee. And there's no call on Maura's cell phone bill for that. So did she just blow it off as whatever, Maura's okay? Um, that, I mean, you know, what, what more can I say? It's, it's, it's her... It's her statement, and we have to go by that's what she said. My main point is we're talking about a West Point graduate who is going to nursing school clinicals who should be a very strong person. I have to wonder in my mind what her sister could have told her that would have put Maura Murray into a catatonic state. I mean, it would have had to been something very, very devastating for Kathleen to have told her if that's who was on the other end of that line, okay? <laughs> we know that the call came from Kathleen's telephone. But, you know, we don't know for sure that that's who was on the other end of that line. And, you know, I mean, more than likely it would have been Kathleen or Tim if there was anybody there. Um, so, again, here we go. You know, I don't see 
something putting in more into that much of a catatonic state. I, I, I want to know what it would have been, what she would have been told. I mean, it doesn't seem feasible to me. You know, she should have been, she's very strong mind, you know, she's got a very strong mind. Here's the options or the scenarios, two scenarios. The news that Maura received on the phone was so bad that it put her into a catatonic state, but we never found out what the news was. Or Karen misinterpreted or had her own agenda. True story. Okay. And I guess what what I would do to firm that up is um, Moore Murray is a security uh, person at the door who lets people in and out. Um, you know, so she, you know, I mean, she Karen's in charge of her. Um, Karen has control over her, basically. So, you know, is there another agenda? I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I can't, you know, again, here I can't say 100% because, you know, maybe all that really did take place. But on the other hand, it's only her that can, can state that to this day. No one else knows for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I, I get, I'm going to have to leave that there too. Getting back to, uh, to some of the forums or some of the, um, the people that you may have come across online, uh, what do you think of, uh, of these people? We, we emailed you a list here, Alden Howes Olson, John Green, Sam Ledyard, and someone named named palm kick and uh, i realize some of the listeners may not have heard of most of those names but um uh, some of the people who have contributed on the blogs definitely know those names so just curious what you think of those people and uh, are they possibly ducks or people who have uh, potentially spread misinformation on purpose well i guess first of all what i'd say is let's get john green um, and Palm Kick out of the area, out of the picture, because I have no idea who Palm Kick is. I believe more than likely a, a troll trying to spread misinformation. Um, John Green, who I don't believe is his real name, um, I don't know what his um, his associate, excuse me, his association with James Renner was, um, but it seemed very strange to me that. James took him in on as an administrator of his page, and John Green, whoever kind of jumped on and like kind of took over, and then I think James tossed him or something, um, kind of what I remember. Um, so again, I, I don't know who John Green really is. I have no real, real um, uh, statement on that. I guess um, Alden Howes Olson, um, you know, he's been in this picture for a long time. Uh, he's very, a very smart, well-educated man. Um, he, you know, used to post stuff that just, I'd be going, what the heck, you know? And it was, he's, he's very smart, very well-educated, but I think he inserted himself into this case, um, under the guise of, of trying to, I guess trying to help isn't quite the right word, but trying to trying to throw stuff out there that would make people mad um, and not the family per se. Um, I, I have to agree a couple of things that he did certainly, you know, throw chills down your spine when you first see it. If you don't know, and I have to say, I have talked to uh, not Alden in person, but I've talked to him several, 
times um, online, and um, the guy seems genuine. I, I, I cannot see, again, I cannot see a person inserting themselves in the case and doing all the things that he did if he was guilty of anything. Um, you being a troll in the back and, and throwing a little bit of disinformation out there is one thing, but to do those things that he did, he was, he was on another mission in my mind, um, and from what, you know, he stated to me that he was, you know, he was more than likely just trying to push people. And, you know, as far as anything more, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I, I definitely don't think he has anything to do with it. Um, the, the laughing video, yeah, certainly puts a chill down your spine. Uh, the only thing that ever troubled me was the Bretton Woods ski uh, ticket. And, you know, I've talked to him several times about that and, you know, and supposedly it was Photoshopped and, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, if, if you did do that and, um, and I'm not saying that he didn't, but, um, I couldn't find any evidence of it and I don't want to make you mad at me, Alden, but, you know, I, I would like it explained further. Um, you know, why, you know, I, I think more reasoning needs to come out of your, what, why you were doing what you're doing. You know, what was your mission? And I think these guys right here, Lance and Tim, would like to speak to you all. I know they would. And let's, Let's get you to talk to these guys, even if it's not like this, live, you know, or, or on a podcast. Talk to them on the phone and tell them so that they can get the story straight because they've only been fed information that they fed and know what they know. What else can they and, do? They're going by what they've been told. So straighten the story out, Alden. I mean, you know, prove who you are, prove your point, tell them what you need to tell them, and get this information out there. I mean, if you choose to do that, these guys are going to look at you in a different light and not go by what they've been told. Um, you know, it's, it's up to you. You know, I, you know, I, I hope, you know, that that's what you want to do, you know, is just get it all behind you, you know, and I know that, you know, it's probably tough, but it's a thought. So just think yeah, about it. all. It, it, so I'm going to just say that this can officially be like the call to, uh, you know, reach out. Um, it's not just about putting, it's not just about Alden putting himself in a in a different light in our eyes, but we have listeners out there who are just discovering this case or listeners who have been involved in this case. And I personally don't think that Alden has anything to do with the disappearance of Mora. Um, but there's a bunch of people out there just discovering him now. And there are people out there who discovered him before and they, they formed their theory. And now these new people are looking at it and he he really needs to, help us do the responsible thing and say, guys, don't, if you're going to put your eyes on this case, um, don't look at me. Uh, this is why I did what I did. And it's, uh, it's the responsible thing to do because we have energetic, fresh eyes on this case and something really could happen. And we don't want it to like, uh, like crumble into that, like cesspool of, uh, of the trolls again. Yeah, it's a great right. point. Right, and, and, and you stating that, that, that's perfect because, you know, Alden can try and sit in the background and just pretend, you know, like it's all, you know, just gone away, and he knows it hasn't, but 
with us out here doing what we're doing and, you know, not just mentioning him because the stuff's out there, it's never going to go away. Um, and we're, but it's going to be brought back more into the light. We, you know, not necessarily that stuff, but more is case. We're going to try and keep this thing at the top of the list. And in doing so, people are going to be looking at him again and it's going to keep going and it's going to keep going and it's never going to stop until he, right. you know, tries to put an end to it. Yeah. What people believe and see him for who he really is. You know, I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, just in talking to him, he seems like the most personal person, you know, that's, so. that's pretty interesting. Yeah. We would absolutely love to talk to Alden. We have messaged him um, a few times over the past couple of years and have never gotten a response uh, to our knowledge directly, at least. Um, so we would absolutely love to to uh, have have you on Alden and clear the air. And we have nothing personal against you. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you, Lance. You know, we have we do not think you had anything to do with uh, the disappearance. But we would like to hear what you do think because you have investigated into this. Um, you know, a lot further than a lot of people have. And uh, for the record, John. Uh, you're not the first person that we heard say, you know, stick up for Alden, uh, vouch for him, um, sort of um, offline, I guess, off the record or from, you know, it was from our anonymous informant, I guess. And then we have what we've been told from James Renner, which uh, most people listening to this have probably already heard. So yeah, we don't know what to go on. We just, we saw these videos and we heard from James Renner and then we heard from our anonymous informant and now we hear from you uh, pretty much the same thing. So Absolutely, we would love to talk to Alden, um, just off the record or on. That'd be great. Okay, cool. Yeah. that the red truck belongs to? You want my honest? Sure. Thought? Mm -hmm. 11 and a half years later, I don't have a freaking clue. Um, R.O. Robinson Ordway um, is a friend of mine. I've known her for all my life. And she stated that she was walking up the hill from her house towards the stage stop store and a red truck, the red truck, pulled over, kind of slowed down beside the road and gawked at her and then drove away. When she got up around the corner, which this is not a far walk, guys, just to let you know, in the winter she wasn't walking more than a quarter mile, eighth of a mile. Um, she walked into the store parking lot and the same red truck was parked at the store. She noticed the truck to be red. It had what she called wood sideboards on it, like that you would haul wood with. Um, it also had a hard window to see in through the back and described it as maybe it had like, um, like, uh, maybe something to cover the window so if you were carrying wood, it wouldn't go through the back window when you were throwing it into the truck, all right? Yeah. And she stated that it had a 
a white plate, kind of cream color plate with red uh, letters. She went into the store, and because she was sketched out by it, she asked the store owners if they had seen any, you know, has anybody been in the people in that red truck come in? And they were like, no, nobody's been in in 20 minutes or whatever. Um, so, and the minute she went by them, walked up the stairs and was saying that inside, the truck drove away and headed towards the um, easterly on 112 towards the accidents. Um, so that is pretty much all the information on the red truck that there really is because through looking at the uh, Graphic County Sheriff's Department report, there are no um, stops of vehicles that would fit that description. There is a couple red trucks, but nothing that, that fits the description. Um, so unless law enforcement actually knows who owned that red truck, by some means, because after it left that store that night, how they would have known to look for that red truck is beyond me, you know, um, because it was never come out about the red truck until days later, you know, when, when um, people were questioned about it in the area. So they would have, you know, they would have had no reason to be really looking for a red truck. Although coincidentally enough, three red trucks were stopped that night and into the morning until like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning another oddity that, you know, maybe it's just another coincidence, three red trucks. I don't know, maybe, maybe nothing at all. So to my knowledge, and the family, nobody knows who this red truck belongs to. Um, we've had thoughts, um, you know, about certain people um, that lived in the area. Um, I saw trucks similar to it. Took pictures, showed it to her. No, it didn't fit. So I guess my big question now is on last week's podcast, I believe it was James mentioned something about talking to, um, well, he called her Rhonda. Um, I don't know if he met RO, but um, talking to her and that said that she had gotten a plate number and they knew who the truck belonged to and that they had gone and, he had had his PI investigated. I talked to my friend Arrow twice and asked her, I said, you know, did this guy kind of talk to you? You know, and you gave him a plate number. She said, no, John, I've never had the plate number. You know that. And I was like, exactly. So another one of who did he talk to if he did talk to anyone? I'm not saying he didn't again, um, but who did he talk to and who, did, who was he told that this red truck belongs to? That's a question that needs to be asked of James. If he was actually told who this red truck belongs to, I want to know his name so I can look into it, so I can check it out and clear it. Because just because you're not in the records doesn't mean you're not, you know, <laughs> just because you don't have a record, that's all I'll say. You might have a reputation. Mm -hmm. So, Speaking of reputation, what about uh, some of the names that we've mentioned on this podcast who live in the area, like Rick Forcier? What is, uh, wh how do you feel about him? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I never met Rick until, oh gosh, uh, I was working at a business in Littleton where I, 
Uh, I was a repairman. I did tool repair, and he's a sheetrock guy and had, like, sheetrock tools, you know, uh, power sanders and stuff. And, and that's the first time I ever uh, met Rick um, was there. Um, and a very personable guy, um, you know, when he came in, uh, he was always nice to me, never complained about the bill, always, you know, like I say, came to came to pick up his stuff on time. Um, and, you know, other than that, I mean, other than the things that were said in the papers, um, then it just kind of makes me, it makes me wonder about that because of the fact that if he was coming home from work in Franconia that night and driving to his house, which is right, was right on the corner, let me rephrase that, of Bradley Hill Road in Route 112, he would have noticed the commotion on the corner. There would have been, you know, blue lights and red lights flashing off the buildings. You know, uh, the Westman's house was white, snow's white. You know, you, you would have seen that. Um, and if he did uh, see this person running down the road that jaunted in front of him and kind of ducked into the uh, side of the road um, a few miles down the road, you would think that when he saw that stuff, the commotion at the corner when he came home, it would have automatically clicked in your brain that, oh, I wonder what's going on. I wonder if that's going to do with that person I just saw running. But maybe Rick is, you know, just a sheetrock guy, laid-back guy, plays the guitar, and just was not analytical like myself. You know, he just comes home, he's like, yeah, I don't want to get involved, you know. Yeah, he said some things to uh, to the police. He said some things to the people in the store, to the neighbors, you know, like, oh, yeah, I've got her in my cellar, but she's a great cook, you know, and, and stuff like that. You know, another thing of, of why would you say these things, you know, unless you were trying to, you know, to put to uh, you know put a light on yourself and, and put you into it. You know, so they're going to be looking at you. I mean, you, yeah. you know, you really don't want to do that. I mean, some people insert themselves that are, you know, that can be very coy. But you know, other people, you know, like this, it's, it's just you know, it just makes no sense to me. So I, I think Rick's a, you know, a bit of a storyteller, um, as some people have said before, and I think that definitely fits him. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've listened to his videos and stuff and everything, and, uh, and uh, he, you know, I, I don't know. I think he's just a, a guy who works and does what he does, and I think he, he said some things he shouldn't have, and, and now he's being looked at. So he's, you know, should have just learned to shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a funny joke. Um, but, uh, but I just wanted to point out that in the email that you sent, to, sent us, um, even though you, you just mentioned now that he's laid back, but you said that he's a, a taxidermist, avid hunter, tracker, and guide. And um, those things don't necessarily sound like a laid back person. I'm sure he can have many sides well, I mean, like yeah. all of us can, but. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, the taxidermist thing, I think, is because he is a hunter. And, you know, and uh, the part about him being a guide, um, he's not a, a licensed guide, but he would he knows the woods and he knows how to track in the woods and stuff. So he would do that as well. Um, and he uh, he was actually friends with another taxidermist who lived in town. Um, so, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes people are, like we say, private, you know, and everything. I mean, he moved here from, I think, Chichester Town or someplace in that area um, and moved up here to be closer to his uh, to his wife and kids 
who he had just recently divorced from. Um, and uh, they lived uh, someplace over near Littleton or something, I guess, and he, and he bought the house in, uh, in uh, Woodsville there. So, you know, I, I, think, I think he stepped in a pile of crap, and, and uh, you know, now he's just trying to, you know, just stay away from it at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just my two cents on that. Uh, um, I I kind of disagree. Well, not kind of. I disagree with uh, those hobbies and those practices being um, not being the the behavior of a laid back person. Um, taxidermy, you know, requires focus. Hunting requires focus. And uh, being a guide, you, you're just you're out there, and you know, it just that that feels to me like you know, a laid back person. It it's not like he does like UFC fighting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's uh he's doing like you know he's out there he's waiting he's hunting and then he takes it back and it just feels like that's like a what a I don't know if you say that's so like in my head that's more laid back if yeah. you say so Lance. <laughs> well, you know I mean yeah he had those hobbies but I guess more than likely what I'd say is, is like as far as his his private life like he didn't go out to bars you know he was more of the home guy. You know, so yeah. I think I met laid back in that way. But as far as doing stuff, I mean, Sheet Rocker had his own business, you know, so, um, right. definitely, you know, the taxidermist thing, which, you know, I don't think he was really into anymore as, as much as he used to be. Um, he never spoke to me of it at any point in time, but I just, I knew that from speaking to certain people that he was, um, and, um, that he was an avid hunter. He was a good hunter. He used to go to, uh, uh, he had some property in Pennsylvania, I think that he used to go. Um, once a month in the fall, he would go okay. to that piece of property, and I believe he has since sold that. But you don't feel like he's in any way a suspect in Mora's disappearance? In my eyes, no, I, I don't anymore. Right. Um, at one time, I certainly said, "Oh my," you know, and I and I knew the guy, and I, you know, I've never said it to him, but you know, I'm like, "Wow," you know, I mean, but you know, again, you you. You know, when you sit back and talk to someone over other stuff, you know, you get your gut feeling. And, again, I, I think he said stuff that he shouldn't have. He stepped into it. And, and you know, now he's back paddling, and, and he's going to have to deal with this again. He's another one who's going to have to deal with this, you know, for saying those things, you know. Right. Um, if he never would have said those things, people wouldn't be talking about him right now. So What about uh, what about Mora's boyfriend at the time, Billy Roush? Have you ever met him, or what, how do you feel about him? Uh, I've never met Billy. Um, like I say, I didn't get involved until after he had already been up here um, with the family searching and everything. That he'd gone back to Fort Sill. Um, so I've never met him. I've only, um, you know, talked to the family about him um, who had no true issues with him. Um, and uh, and then just the uh, discovered uh interviews that i've seen him and seen that you know seen that aspect of of um of who he is do you um do you want to talk about the phone records i will say that i feel billy truly knows and i'm stepping out on a very thin limb right here right now guys i really feel billy knows why more left Massachusetts, why she was so upset. I, I think he knows this, and I think he was trying to find out more information as to why 
she was so upset or he might have known why she was so upset, but trying to contact a lot of people. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not saying at this point that he has anything to do with Maura's disappearance. He was in Fort Sill. Um, but I will say that when I saw the phone records years and years ago when they first were brought to my eyes, I was amazed at the, after analyzing them, at the amount of phone calls and how it had changed from the three days prior to Mora going missing. The amount of phone calls, the different people that were called, um, it, in, it indicates to me that somehow Billy was aware that there was an issue. And I'd like to stop there. You mentioned the amount of phone calls I have here. Um, 46 phone calls he made the day before Mora went missing and 52 on the day of her disappearance. Correct. Okay. And uh, just to clarify, that is not the record that you posted on Twitter. Um, we got a few. No, I actually yeah. took that down. I'm, I want to apologize to everyone. I, I found a blurry copy, which I thought no one would be able to see. And I was, I was uh, taken back by that this morning when someone actually said, these are from Baltimore in 96. I'm like, what, you can read those? <laughs> Your eyes are better than mine. So I do apologize to any of the viewers that, um, that did see that. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I've taken it down since. I was just stating a fact that... Um, you know, records, proof on paper, you know, proves things. That was my point of the whole right. thing. And uh, those, that number, 46 and 52, that was uncharacteristic of his, his phone activity in the weeks before and after? Yes. Um, very, very different. Um, normal was anywhere from, uh, I can't even... It's in my notes someplace. I get it written down. But normal was like anywhere from, you know, 10 calls a day to May 17, 20 at the most. And that's in the month, basically a month before, I think, is what I had seen. So I saw a whole, whole month's worth. So on both sides, you know, like 15, 20 days on each side. Or however, however, it was stretched out. I can't remember exactly at this point in time. So the amount of phone calls that were made the day before stands out to me more than the amount of phone calls that were made the day of. How many were, were made on the day of? You said 52? 52. Which is reasonable to think that his girlfriend's now missing. He's going to start calling everybody. No, 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 no. Because you have to understand that he did not know. No one knew that Maura was missing until Tuesday morning at noon. that looking into this case can be dangerous. Why do you feel that way? And does that mean that we're in danger too? Okay. When I stated that fact, um, I stated it because 11 years later, and I keep pushing the 11 years because I want everybody to know how long it's been um, since Maura went missing. 
Um, I have stepped on some very big toes up here in northern New Hampshire. Um, walked upon some stuff that I had no idea was occurring in this area. Um, it was hard for me to believe. It was hard for me to comprehend that it could go on and be known about but and still exist. So it's a lot to talk about. Um, I think we definitely need to cover that on the next show. I won't be able to mention any big names that, that are connected, but um, there's just lots of stuff. We stepped on some toes, and there's people who have been, we've been followed. I've been stalked while I've been investigating and intimidated, and I don't get intimidated. You can, whatever, come on down to the house if you want. We'll speak, you know, if you get the balls, um, you know. I'd love to talk to you, you know, come and tell me why I shouldn't be following you, you know, say what's my problem instead of, you know, just harassing me. Um, I have other friends out there who work behind the scenes with me who have gained some knowledge, but in this same thing, they've been through the same thing I have. They've been threatened and told to just shut up, back away, and it'd be smart for them. And again, the other person that I'm working with, the two or three, they are like me. They're not going to go away. So here we are, and uh, beware. Okay. The only thing I'd like to say before I go and is if you could uh, post this for me, and I'll maybe do it even on the, um, the, the Twitter account as well, but I'd like to give my uh, email address out for anybody that wants to contact me if they don't feel, you know, uh, good about contacting anyone else, but that would be Dora the Explorer, like it says, D-O-R-A-T-H-E-E-X-P-L-O-R-E-R at mail.com. Please, get in touch with us. I mean, if you've got anything that you think can help us, we're going we're gonna to take and we're going to run with it. We're gonna, we want to solve this case. We want to bring closure, and we want the family to be able to finally rest and know the answers of what happened 11 and a half years ago. Thanks, y'all, for listening. I, I hope that this has cleared up a few things. And like I said, uh, feel free to uh, get in touch with me on Twitter and uh, ask me questions or through my email if you feel more safe that way. That's all up to you. And if you've got information that really can solve this case and you don't want to talk to us, go to the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit, New Hampshire, and they will protect you. I can't protect you all the time, but if you have information that can solve this case, they have to protect you. It's their job. Okay? Thanks again. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.